scan the people to, to know where they are, where they are, where they are. And I directly recognized the leader of the group. And I recognized only also that he had a, a strong, strong gremlin. And so I decided to connect to him first. And, uh, and it, it functioned, I connected and it functioned. And then I had the whole group. And uh, the, it was, a. I, I noticed also I, I needed to slow down because they were not prepared and I, I all things which Uncle said to, to us to, to be aware that they are not used to have a transforma transformational space and all that mm -hmm. I was very aware of that and I had it in mind and I slowed down, slowed down, slowed down and I did in the first uh, hour, I think after maybe uh, 20, 25 minutes, I did already the towel exercise. And it was uh, it, it was such a, a change of the energy of the space, the moment when I did it and 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 when they really realized, oh, it's a difference when I do it on purpose or not. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I, I, I was, I needed all my attention the whole time to, 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 to be with them. And at the end, they, they said to me, you need to do that with kids in schools. And, and they went away and there was so, so, uh, it was a completely different energy, really. <laughs> and after that, I was, the next day I was so tired, <laughs> totally tired and liquid. Wow, thank you for telling that. But this is what a great thing. This is the beginning of a new future. Ingrid has a new future. Yeah. So. I, I, re I really feel it. it what, touched, what touched me the most, it, it was, and even still now when, when I'm thinking about that, it was in a, in a place here, a few, I'm now today in my office, and it's only a few kilometers here from my office. And it was in a region where there is poverty. And I didn't know that so close to, to this, where I am, there is such a, a quarter where people, where, when I entered with a the car there, I felt the, the depression and the dis despair is that a word in English? This yes. Hopelessness mm -hmm. and 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 the really the yeah this an energy of being victim. It, it was palpable in that region, and and when they went away, they felt less victim. And this this was so deeply satisfying and. And I yeah, I don't know yet what, what will come out for me for, for that, but I, I really felt, okay, something happened in me. Yes, something happened in me. There's a, <clears throat> I was recently listening to a tape from Alan Watts and he was briefly mentioning how human beings, what we tend to do is we think 
that our present is made out of our past. You know, we think that all the things that old decisions or everything that that has happened to us and that gives us things or take things away ha, is a has created who we are today. And he was he was almost angry. He was cynical or he was laughing or anyway, he was saying this is such a ridiculous consideration because the um, the where the where today is being made is right now. And we're actually right now making our past. What what you are doing right now is creating your past right now. Because it's like the bow of a boat. The boat is going through the water and it makes these waves that come off. And after the wave is made, it's done. It just does its thing, it's the past. But where the actual action is happening is right here at the very beginning of the boat. And then that's exactly where your past is being made right now. So you, you just created a new past for yourself. And it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a great shift of understanding that we're not a victim of what happened to us in the past. What we are is we're, we're ongoingly choosing moment to moment you know, what, what, what it shall be, what it is. And that creates this whole, our history. So I just wanted to share that. So. Thank you. I uh, like to spend the first couple of minutes greeting people who have not been here much before. Does anybody would like to introduce themselves or say hello? Hi, my name is Hallie. I'm coming in from Ashland, Oregon. Um, I have been on the call a few times um, and happy to be here again. Um, Jeff Shrub, I think is his last name, invited me. Yeah. Wow, welcome. Nice thank to, you. Thank you for saying hello. Nice to be here, thank you. Are you carrying any particular necessity with you today? Well, um, the, the language here is new for me. So can you explain what that means? Hearing a necessity? It means, do you need anything? Ah, hmm. Like, are you working with a question? Do you have an urge? Is something burning in you? Do you have a project and it's hit a wall? Does it mean that you're your breakdown in communications with the people around you is inexplicable, things like that. Gotcha. What's, what is your necessity? This is precious time that we have together. You know, it's once a week for a little bit and it's really precious. And so I like to make it not simply reading the just the book, but also uh, addressing the issues that come up in people's lives as we go on this journey. We've been doing this for well over a year and we're cruising along. We're already on page, you know, way up here in page 196. I mean, we made it to 200, but I'm going back to a section that was a little bit back. 
well, perhaps I should start with the book and um, not take up precious time with um, um, with the time that we have here. But thank you for letting me introduce myself and um, being a part of this as much as, you know, I'm testing the waters here. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Somebody else? Well, I I want to celebrate that um, yesterday, I, um, okay, maybe from the beginning, like last week, I was a bit um, feeling discouraged doing the Rage Club. I was nearly wanting to cancel it. And it helped me tremendously having a, a session with my possibility team in Germany and also with uh, Vera that was there. And I turned on again doing it. And during this weekend, I even found two other people joining. So I wanted to celebrate that with you. And I have five people now in my Reg Club starting tomorrow. So I'm, I'm yes. really happy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. <clears throat> the Rage Club is so important. Really, it's so important. And so anybody who can get into Rage Club or a Rage Club spaceholder training, this is the time. It's really yeah, and if you want to join, like if some people still want to join, tomorrow is a new Rage Club starting for four weeks. And okay, you're welcome to contact me. Johanna's got it. So just send her a message if you want to jump in. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple more people, Anne Elizabeth, talk to us. Mm. I've been doing uh, emotional healing processes. I've been doing uh, experiments with scheduling the processes, whether I have a topic in mind or not. And that has kept me in a liquid state and I'm uh, wondering about, because you talk, I'm not good at it yet because I find myself stumbling on every little thing uh, that, that has to do with uh, like life logistics or connecting with other people at a certain time. And all these little things just, I is about how to live in liquid state. Yeah, it's <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it's a whole science about how to live in a liquid state. Because as you're discovering, you've had the idea that that it was most proper for you to live in a solid state where you know who you are, you know what your life is, you know what you're supposed to do and how things work. And this is a solid state. And so we've all been trained to, to try to have an identity or to try to have a job or to try to you know get a life you know, and the, the life that you have is supposed to be a solid, explicable, you know, thing that you can tell other people about. 
Like, who are you and what are you doing here? And that's supposed to be a solid thing. And yet, as if that excludes the possibility of evolution, it excludes the possibility of actually learning something. And it assumes that modern culture, in particular, modern education, already knows what life is about. And so the, the hubris of that, the arrogance of that, so far off the charts, that it's, it reaches all the way around back into childishness. You know, it's really a childish point of view to think, well, I know what it is, I can control what it is, I'm supposed, you know, I'm, I'm the master of my destiny, something like this. I mean, what a boring life that would be. And so uh, it's as you reach the thought limits of modern culture, you can, you can, you, uh, there will be things that you discover that you never knew that you did not know about. And the surprise that anybody could ask those questions, that anybody could know anything about this thing that you did not even know that you did not know about is so shocking that it pulls the rug out from underneath this solid foundation because it's a fake solid foundation. It's fake. And it's the, the shock of recognizing the fakeness of the, or the illusion. It's like when, when you go chase after a mirage, it disappears. So modern culture keeps us far away from the massage and then you look off and go, yeah, it's, it's solid or it's real or it's true. But it, it's, they, modern culture is designed so we don't get too close to the edge or too close to the actual practicality of, of things. Otherwise we, the mirage would just disappear and then we'd be in the, in the nothing again. Do you think that the creation of this mirage is something intentional or it's just something that's happened to have come up? I think it's reflexive, meaning unintentional. I think it's an uninitiated reaction to try to make everybody agree that we can control or that we know what's going on, that we have a school curriculum that teaches us what we need to know. And I think it's unintentional. I think it's just a level of awareness development and that's where we are right now. But there are people continuing to push the limits such as you guys. And I think something that really helps me uh, relax into that whole situation is that if you try to figure out where your consciousness comes from, it, it it, it doesn't, it obviously does not come from school. You were conscious before you went to school. It doesn't come from your parents. You know, where, where does the consciousness actually come from? Well, it comes from, to me, it comes from a great field of consciousness. We're connected into this great field of consciousness and we're designed as human beings to like transformers, like to be a transformer that like a radio receiver, a transformer that transforms this consciousness so we can become aware of it. And so the, it means that we're designed based on archetypal structures of the universe. We're designed for that. 
and there and therefore you can you can you can have faith in it what i've this you can actually have faith in the that field of consciousness even though it doesn't fit in modern culture and you can have faith and you can in your own design that you were designed to do these experiments and that are not based on a solid knowable amount of knowing or a curriculum from the school that were designed to interface with the archetypal nature of the universe and that thing is so comforting that when your parents or a philosopher or the policeman or the tax guy or whoever comes up to you and says, you know, what do you think you're doing? You know, what, how, how, what, how can you, you know, how can you be un, so undefined? And you can just go, you think the universe is defined. I mean, you don't, you don't have to argue with it. You know, you can, you don't have to defend yourself against a system that's annihilating life on planet earth. You just say, you know, the thing that you're trying to speak from is invalid. So let's try again, let's start over. And it's really a comforting vastness of incomprehensible field work that, that we're floating in together and the, the, what I'm interested in and what I'm interested in exploring is how human beings are designed to fly. We're actually designed to fly and not and to float and swim in the liquid state and not be, not try to resort or shrink ourselves, compress ourselves back down into this solid state. But how do we interact flying in the, in the liquid state? Because air is just a liquid. You know, and energies are liquid and space is liquid and all this stuff is not in a solid state. And so it's, uh, I don't know if, how many people can already eat with chopsticks? Can you eat with chopsticks? Okay, look at that. It's, it's basically everybody. Okay, I'm telling you 20, 30 years ago, it would be almost nobody. Do you guys get this? Like I remember when I first picked up those chopsticks, I was in college and we lived in a house and we, and we made this rule in the house. There were four guys and whoever cooked the meal made the rules for the meal. And so when it became my, my meal, I made spaghetti and I said, uh, you can only eat with chopsticks. That's the meal, that's the rule of the meal. And people, you know, we forced ourselves, we're going like, you know, trying to do whatever we could to eat with the chopsticks. But the rule was you can't eat except with chopsticks. And that's how I learned to use chopsticks. When I was in China, I was, I was, uh, there was, I was with this nonviolent communication group in China and they take, they take you out to, to lunch during the workshop. And in uh, Hong Kong, actually it was the, the custom is that you all sit around this big, um, like a, a lazy Susan, it's a thing that rotates around where all the dishes of the food are in. And you, you feed the best things to your best friends or to the guests with your own chopsticks. So here, I, so here these people were amazed that I could you know, feed people chopsticks, but I didn't want to do it because I didn't want them licking my chopsticks. But then they would offer me stuff from their chopsticks and to refuse it was so intimidating and was so disruptive of the space that I decided that there was a 
a new spice on my food called Hong Kong slime. It was basically the, it was the, it, all the other people, you know, I was eating off of their chopsticks, which is just freaking my box out. So, so, but, but that, what I'm saying is the, the simplicity of taking two pieces of wood and eating your food with it was unknown essentially in Western culture until very recently. And now almost everybody can eat with chopsticks. Anybody who is anybody, you know, can eat with chopsticks. And it's, that's a new thing. Well, it was a liquid state. If you ever remember back to learning to eat with chopsticks, it was a liquid state going, you know, I can use a spoon, I can use a fork, it's really easy. You know, how am I supposed to get the food into these two sticks in, in one hand? And so it's a liquid state. So there's so many liquid states to access. We have direct access to, to so much. So the, the point is, that we're designed for being in the liquid state, so learn to fly. And what does that mean, learn to fly? And it, it's, I would leave this as a, as a, you know, as our beginning of our research today, you know, because uh, the way you learn to fly is you practice flying. And of course, if you practice flying and don't know how to fly, you crash. And so if you, the point is to learn how to crash well. So learning how to crash well is one of the skills that you need to be able to learn to fly. Does that make sense? So learning to crash well is basically the first thing you need to learn. It's like in Aikido or, or martial arts, the first thing they teach you is how to fall, how to hit the ground you know, and roll and not be hurt. And so uh, that would have been you know, in kindergarten, any any sane kind of kindergarten, they would have uh, taught us how to fall. <clears throat> I remember we had, my daughters were homeschooled and so they loved horses. And as soon as they got horses, I'd go, Jesus, you fall off of one of those, it's two meters up. So the, luckily the first thing they had was ponies. So ponies are only a meter and a half up or a meter, and, yeah. And so our, our first pony lessons were running around the field on the horses and how to fall off of the horse, how to fall. And so they learn really well how to just fall off the horse any which direct, direction and roll, roll basically and come to their feet. And then there was a spiritual seminar there in France. And so there were 80 guests. And the, my daughters, of course, wanted to show off. And so they said, look, we got ponies here. We're gonna show you. And they ride, they're riding around the field. And in the middle, they, they both fall off of these ponies completely and, you know, crash, you know, and the ponies and people are going, oh, oh, they all run over. Oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And they just jump up laughing and go jump on the ponies again. And, and they just keep crashing. So this is for us to learn to crash and be well. It's like, that's one of the reasons why it's so great to get feedback because feedback in a way is like hitting a wall. It's, it's we didn't know the thing that we're getting feedback about from the universe, from our life, from our finances, you know, from our love life, from our communications, from business, from everything, we're getting feedback. And the, the point of the feedback is it crashes the thing that it's feedbacking. It comes and hits the thing with the intention of changing it. And, and theoretically, the choice of whether we change or not is up to us. But 
getting enough painful feedback, often enough, hard enough, it has a kind of force of its own to crash the, the system. So our job is not to be adaptive to feedback. That's not our job. Our job is to make use of the feedback in a way that when we do crash, that what evolves, what comes back out is changed. Because if you, if you keep getting the feedback and crashing and you come out the same way, you're gonna keep getting the same feedback. So it's this middle state of shift. So not only are, are we designed to fly, we're designed to fly and shift at the same time. And that I think is an element, the transformational element. I think that's the really surprising part because it's, you can go through and, and not have something solid to stand on. You can learn that, but then you improvise or you, you uh, somehow count on forces beyond you that are gonna help you interact in this flying state. But then how do you fly and evolve at the same time? How do you fly and, and become something different than you were while you're flying without going back to the solid state, without going back to a crystallized state? So uh, life in the liquid state, and Elizabeth, is, it has a lot of fascinating facets to it. I mean, this leads into what I wanted to, to read about from the book today. And we skipped over this box on page 196. The box is called More Box Mechanics. So earlier in the book, we were talking about how we have this psychological defense strategy called our box. And this is um, some more clarity about that. So I would like to read this and then we can jump in and take it apart. So it's on page 196 in this, in a box and it's about the box. I think it's totally appropriate more box mechanics. The following distinctions about boxes create a level of clarity in human relationship that has been for the most part unknown in the history of humanity. So that's a warning that you're using high octane thoughtware this, this is full of high octane thoughtware, meaning most of the people, even today, even in your world of friends who can use chopsticks are not aware of these distinctions yet. And the idea is, you know, let's, let's make this stuff as common as chopsticks are today. You know, really that's like, Johanna, you're doing your rage club you know, Varen and Chloe, like everybody, Ygritte, everybody is, is really working to offer these possibilities, which are even more fascinating and cool than eating with chopsticks. And, and the people will be surprised, or is this real? Or is it like, what are you really talking about? Or how does it work? A lot of it is how does it work? And so this is this little box of distinctions I'm going to be reading through is how this stuff works. So it's a set of distinctions that people, I, I really think I've researched that people in, in the entire race of the human beings on the planet, even in, even in Atlantis, they did not know these things. So 
the quality of communication and relationship that comes from applying this clarity from moment to moment in your daily life is truly extraordinary. And it is yours whenever you wish to use it. And I would suggest that these distinctions not only apply in communication or uh, relationship situations, they apply almost everywhere and are useful then. The first distinction is you have a box. So I think everybody, is anybody not clear what, the, what we mean by box? Anybody have a, any questions about it? It's this fabrication of our ideas, beliefs, attitudes, behaviors, our rules, our, our conclusions, uh, you know, all our memories, our, our decisions, our stories, our interpretations, all of those things. It all fits together. It's like our psychological identity. It is our, our comfort zone, a place where we live inside. It's our survival strategy. It's called our box. So you have a box. You are not your box. Okay. If you're not your box, then what are you? It says you are a vast and awesome potential. The same is true for everyone else. So here's your first experiment. Walk down a street and do not let your box tell you that that person across from you is their box. You know, your box scans, ongoingly scans for other people's boxes. How do they work? Is this dangerous for me? Are they, do they like me? Do they not like me? Should I connect with them? Should I get out of their way? So we're scanning for this ongoingly. So we are, check, we are trained as a survival strategy to de like define for ourselves how other people's boxes are. And the first experiment then is for you to walk down the street, not as your box, and don't, don't see them as their box. You see them as this vast and awesome potential. Now, this does not mean get uh, attacked by some thief or some burglar or something like that. It does not mean be stupid or naive. That's not what this is, because your scanner is not bad or wrong or stupid. It's just in the way. So you make it optional. So the option is to, to sense each human as this un, kind of unknowable potential cloud. How do you relate to that? Instead of saying, good morning, you know, there's so many other ways to relate to that. And this, so the same is true of everyone else. They have a box, they are not their box. The second distinction is boxes are neither alive nor volitional. So what that means is the box is a dead mechanical reaction. It's full of buttons, it's full of hooks, full of triggers. It's a, it's a machine. And you know this. <clears throat> you can, there's this amazing movie that we just saw called Jim and Andy. And it's this story. It's a documentary of the, the making of the movie called, uh, about Andy Kaufman called Man in the Moon. And, and uh, Jim Carrey was the actor and in order for him to role play and for him to play Andy Kaufman, who's kind of a crazy guy, comedian type guy, 
in order for Jim Carrey to play this role, he had he shifted identity. So he essentially for a couple months while they were filming, the whole time they were filming day and night, on screen and off screen, on stage and off stage, the entire time he shifted identity into Andy Kaufman, who was this wild guy. And then there was this some another character in the uh, in the, the theater, the movie, the, the story, who was a, a, a professional wrestler, one of these giant, giant, muscly, huge wrestler guys. And Andy Kaufman is this skinny, you know, monkey, little tiny monkey guy. And and the the point was that in reality they were friends, but in in the story. Jim Carrey's character of Andy Kaufman found the buttons of this wrestler guy. And only every time he was around the wrestler, he would push the wrestler's button. Now the wrestler was not acting and Jim Carrey was being this, a different character, Andy Kaufman. And he just pushed the same button in the wrestler time after time after time. And you can just watch how impossible it was for the wrestler to not react. Every time Jim Carrey pushed this button on the guy, insulting him like um, in multiple ways, the, the guy and they, and they actually got into this fight. Like the guy, the wrestler could not control himself. He could not control himself from reacting, even physically attacking him on camera. So it's, you know, and you can just see kids doing this with their parents. You can see, and you've probably done this with a lot of people where you just say the same thing and they react the same way. And it's sort of entertaining for your gremlin. And so anyway, boxes are neither alive, so dead machines, nor are they volitional, which means they have no willpower. They do not have an option or a choice about how they react. Boxes are unconscious mechanical machines dedicated to one purpose, which is to defend themselves. So machines can be counted upon to mechanically do exactly what they are designed to do. You know, I have this pen right here. You know, it's designed for this little piece it has a spring inside. You know, it, the point goes in and out, you know, and then and when it's working, it has ink and you can write with it. It is designed to do this. And that's what it will do. It doesn't have a choice about doing something else. This is what it's going to do. So machines can be counted upon to mechanically do exactly what they're designed to do to fulfill their unconscious purposes. For example, one job of your box is to produce an endless stream of meaningless thoughts in your mind. It does this job marvelously. Did anybody ever notice that? Did you ever notice you have this endless stream of mindless thoughts that just go on and on? And in, in, in day and night, you know, awake or in your dream world, these things are just pumping out stuff. Okay, so this is part of your box and it's doing it perfectly, this job. The next distinction is with the clarity that you just, that we just talked about, you never need have a conflict again, ever, ever. It's like, it's like walking up to a wall and pounding your head on the wall. I mean, did you ever do that? 
I'm sure you tried it a little bit just to fool around. Did you ever bash your head on the wall just to like express frustration or, okay, it hurts. Yeah. Okay, All right. This is what it is to have a conflict with another human being. It, it is to walk your head up and bash it against a wall because the wall is just standing there. The wall has no life. It has no willpower. It is a mechanical reaction. It's just there and you're gonna bash your head against it and then blame the wall. This is what we do. We bash our head on the wall and then we blame the wall. Who put this wall here? Why are you like this? You have a corner. You know, the, these, the wall is designed like the wall is designed. Well, this is like the box is designed like the box is designed. And with those two distinctions, you, you don't ever have to have a conflict again. If you feel like you are having a conflict with another person, it is not you that is having the conflict with them. It is your box having a conflict with their box. This is called nitpicking. It is like, there are no two boxes that are identical. If you have brothers and sisters, everybody, anybody have brothers and sisters? How many brothers and sisters have turned out differently from you? Do you have, anybody have brothers and sisters who turned out differently from you or are they the same? You know, yeah. It's like so weird because you have same parents, same Christmas ceremonies, you know, same opportunity basically. And, and yet the brothers and sisters turn out so differently. So every box is unique. Even the brothers and sisters, even identical twins, they have a different box. So it is not you that's having the conflict. It is your box having a conflict with a box that's different from yours. Okay, next distinction, playing the role of victim to a machine is always strategic. So this is the wall thing again. You walk up, smash your head against the wall and then pretend like you're a victim. This is what you do when you have a conflict with somebody else's box. You smash your head and then you pretend like the wall is persecuting you. Here's the wall, it's standing there, it's a dead machine. And then you're pretending like it's hurting you. So this is what it's like when you have this conflict with another person. If you are in a conflict with someone else's box, you are deriving a payoff for that. It is strategic. God, Joseph, Joseph is demonstrating how he really is a box. So thank you, Joseph. Appreciate the clarity. <laughs> to step out of the conflict, get conscious about your payoff. Now, so a payoff is a reward. A payoff is a benefit. And since you are nice people, you're not out there to torture other people. You know, you're not a psychopath deriving pleasure from other people's being tortured so what your your payoff is unconscious so the, the, the to step out of the conflict 
is to get conscious about your payoff, that means you need to dig into your shadow world, the part that you're not aware of. And this, this of course, is the domain of your gremlin. So you're, if you have any kind of conflict with anybody, if you have a conflict with them, it is strategic. Instead of getting out of the way or making changes so that the thing does not happen, if you're having this conflict, it's because you have a your gremlin has a payoff, a benefit for it. So find out what your payoff is. And this will not be a pretty sight. This is not beautiful to see that you get to have revenge or you get to be superior or you get to play small and always have somebody to blame or you can hide out and not have to be responsible. Whatever your payoff is, you find out what your payoff is. The next distinction is it is impossible to be offended by anyone or anything. If you ever feel offended, you have offended yourself. I mean, being offended is, is essentially noticing that the world does not conform to your box. It does not conform to your boxes shape. It has a different shape from your box. And then you have, you have so much arrogance that you get offended. And so any circumstances can be used as a reason to offend yourself. Any perceived insult is self-manufactured to serve your own shadow principles. This is obvious because anyone could feel offended about anything. You get this? Anybody could feel offended about anything, and anyone could also feel unoffended about anything. Feeling offended or unoffended is a personal preference of your box. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in a, a kind of a, a apartment house, and we're in an apartment complex, and the other night they were having this party outside, and so... It, the party was going on and going on and going on. And this time it was hardly any music because we already complained two weeks ago about the music. So they didn't have hardly any music at all. What they had was, was screaming kids running up and down the street until one o'clock in the morning. And so, all right, at what point do you get offended or, or what point, what do you do? So Vera, can I tell this story? So Vera, she went outside at one o'clock in the morning. You know, she wrapped a blanket around herself and went to the neighbors and knocked on the door. And they and she just uh, she said, without being offended, she said, is there any chance you'd be willing to ask the kids not to run up and down the street screaming at one o'clock in the morning anymore tonight? Would, you, would that be OK with you? And they said, yes. And then she said, thank you. And she and they stopped and she went to bed. So she did not have to be offended to make in this circumstance. She just went and, and negotiated or made an offer, made a proposal. And her proposal was accepted. And it did not have to come from reactivity or a power struggle. It did not have to come from her winning and them losing or they win and she loses. This is old thoughtware. 
But if you have clarity about your box, you can negotiate stuff happening so it works out. So feeling offended or unoffended is a personal preference of your box. So the thing about boxes is, we, you know, who made your box? You did. Because your brothers and sisters had the same exact circumstances then they made entirely different boxes. So it does, it's not about your circumstances or your parents that made your box. You made it. So if you made your box, you, you can remake your box. It's just this is mechanical. It fits together with is glue. It's just stuck together in a certain shape. And you believe in it like a religion. Well, you could change your religion also. You just change your idea. So you can, you can decide to no longer be offended about certain things. So here's your next experiment. Any time during the week when you sense you have this reaction, this I'm offended reaction, find out what you're actually offended about. It may not be. Is this, is this a question coming in? Somebody trying to ask a question? It's a train announcement in Germany. Okay, train announcement. <laughs> How many people were offended? Okay, so no, I just pushed the mute button instead. So it's conservation of energy. You know, maybe you'd get offended because you have too much energy. Anyway, to this week, go down the street, find out you know what's happening in your life that you're starting to get offended about. And go back to the big, what is it really about? Is it a, you know, they get to and I don't? Is it, you're jealous, you know, they have more, more colorful shirts than you do. I mean, find out what the thing is that you're actually offended about and then write it down in your beat book, write it down in your little book and then just change your mind about it. Just say, I, this is, I'm not going to be offended about this anymore. And then write out, write that down. I am no longer offended about Coca-Cola. You know, I walk down the street, I see Coca-Cola bottles or McDonald's wrappers, you know, or people drinking Coca-Cola and rotting their teeth out or their brains out or whatever. And, and it, so many people have been zombieized and hypnotized into, you know, thinking that Coca-Cola is something. You know, people in Africa would rather drink a Coca-Cola than have a plate of beans and rice because it's cool. And so, so okay, right? I'm no longer going to be offended. I changed my mind. You know, you, your mind is yours to play with and make into whatever you want. So you can change your mind about what offends you. Just change your mind and tell people, you not believe this. I spent you know, 33 years being offended about Coca-Cola or being offended that, that men wear belts, you know, how, or whatever, whatever the thing is, um, whatever you're offended about. And tell people, you will not believe this, but for 33 years, I was offended about this and I changed my mind about it. Test me. You go, I did this before. I would say, test me. I say, if you can get me offended, I'll give you $10. And this was a time where $10 was really a lot of money for me. And it was fantastic to do that because people would try. 
you know, I did pay a couple of $10 sometimes, but it was really worth it because then people would try to offend me about a thing that was utterly stupid. And I could see the mechanicality of the whole boxing. It was just stupid. So you get freedom of movement and you get energy back. And Chloe could tell you about how important freedom of movement is if she wanted to. I'm not sure that right now is the time, but it's definitely, she's been researching having freedom of movement. No, I can tell a story about one woman in, in Grand, in Grand Canaria who succeeded in getting Clinton offended. And I think that was the only time in four years that I saw him offended and he was in a museum. Go ahead, tell, you have to tell the story. Okay, so we went and visiting these old um, remains of Cretan. I mean, the, the original the indigenous people of, of Crete before the Greek and the whatever, all these people came in and invade, invade Crete. And it, it was a it was a COVID restricted visit, and the whole thing was in. Oh, it's not what I'm saying. It's not Crete. It's sorry. It's Grand Canaria. So it's the Spanish uh, invasion, and the people. What are they called? The people from Grand Canaria and from Guanchos. The Guanchos in the in the Canary Islands. And so they had, so it's still the remains of that. And it was, it was in Spain, it was COVID and it was all in Spanish, which we probably understand about like 30% of what this woman was saying. And, and Clinton wanted to stay back to listen to the videos that were in English. And the woman said, no, you have to, you have to come with us. This is COVID. We can't leave anybody behind. And, and so Clinton like walked slowly and then saw the woman go away and then turn back. And the woman came back and say, sir, you're not allowed to be here. <laughs> and that, that's what made Clinton offended, that he couldn't watch the video that he wanted when he wanted it in English. Is that and pretty it, accurate? It's <laughs> totally accurate, completely accurate, but I did not give her 10 euros. I mean, Me <laughs> the tickets probably cost 10 euros. But instead of beating her up, you know, and say, I paid 10 euros, I'm going to stand here. I just changed my mind about it. it. Took me about 15 minutes to change my mind about it. But yeah, you can change your mind. Thank you for your story. Welcome. You change your mind is a, uh, Johanna's writing this thing of an experiment about, mm. uh, is to spend a year in India or China mm. and observe how your box defense strategy of getting offended will change from, geez, you have to do it for 56 weeks? That's over a year. Johanna, that's, all right, this is a long experiment. You get, you get 100 matrix points for this. But you go in there and notice how by the end of the 56 weeks, you will have changed your mind about a number of things that used to offend you in the beginning. Is that what you're saying, Johanna? That it will change, yeah. That's so amazing. Thank you. All right, next distinction, no one else. Wait, 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 sorry, I skipped one. Being offended by a box, yours or someone else's, is no different from hitting your finger with a hammer and being angry at the hammer. Okay, this is what, when you're being offended, it's like that. The box did not do anything to you. 
It's a mechanical device. You used the box to do it to yourself, just like a hammer. So when you see this, you, do, you could stop hitting your finger with the hammer if you want, or not. You can change your mind about it. Next distinction, no one else can quote unquote hurt your feelings. You hurt your own feelings. The way you hurt your own feelings is by creating a low drama victim story about the circumstances that are happening around you. So this usually happens with someone who is doesn't know how to inner navigate and feel. When you do not know how to feel, then if you feel something, anything, this is called having your feelings hurt. So most of the time people try to stay numb and if they, and people will surround themselves with eggshells, they call it. So that if you cause any anger, sadness, fear, or joy in them, you are hurting their feelings because they don't know how to feel. They're, they don't know how to inter-navigate their feelings or cut off from their feelings. They're trying to stay numb. Their goal is to stay numb. And if you cause them to feel anything, it's called hurting their feelings. So you may have been manipulated by someone who surrounds themselves with eggshells. They hold it over your head that if you behave a certain way, they will feel a certain way. If you behave a certain way, if you do something, they will then feel something and then they will be hurt. You will have hurt their feelings. Since the way they feel is bad, meaning angry, scared, or sad, then you are bad for making them, you know, quote unquote, making them feel this way. Allowing yourself to be manipulated by this is just as much a shadow principle as if you were manipulating other people by this. You get this? If somebody's doing the eggshell thing around you and you're adaptive around them, then, then you are letting yourself be manipulated. And that's just as much of a shadow principle as if you were manipulating them. Being manipulated is as much of a shadow principle as manipulating. So it's like, yeah, being right is a shadow principle just as much as making somebody else wrong. It's a shadow principle. So does anybody ever, do you, are you expert at being manipulated by other people who might feel something and so you walk around them really carefully? Anybody, anybody doing this? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I would encourage you to inspect those situations and you can renegotiate. <clears throat> it's straightforward to say, Look, for a month, a year, for 10 years, whatever, 50 years, I've been walking around you as if you are a nuclear device, as if you are a hand grenade. And I'm, I've been afraid to uh, hear, notice if you are angry or sad or scared or even glad. I've changed my mind about this. Now it's okay. I've learned how to feel angry, sad, glad, and scared myself. 
And now it's okay for me if you feel angry, sad, glad, or scared around me. So I'm changing my agreement with you. So I'm no longer going to be adaptive around you. I'm no longer going to tiptoe my way around you because I'm, then you don't get to meet me and I don't get to meet you. I'm, I've changed my mind. I'm going to be authentic, more authentically myself. And if you feel angry about that, you just tell me. If you feel scared about it, you just tell me. If you're sad about it, just tell me. And I'll listen to you. But I'm no longer going to pretend. I'm no longer going to let that man manipulate myself to try to avoid you from feeling something. I did it for so long and it was so expensive because I never got to be with you. You didn't get to be with me. We've got to go in this pretend world, this fantasy world. Uh, and I was hiding. I've been hiding. I've been allowing myself to be manipulated by the fear that you might feel something or that I might feel something. And that doesn't work on me anymore. It just doesn't work on me anymore. So I'm going to be myself. And if you feel something about it, just tell me and I'll listen to you. And I, and I, this is an, uh, from, this is the deal from now on, you know, you can renegotiate this stuff. Anybody have anything about that? Yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, this is quite amazing because there's um, somebody I live with that I, I've really been noticing in the last month that I'm afraid of her anger. I'm afraid, and I, we're all afraid of her anger because she really is strong with it and, and blows out with it. And so we start tiptoeing around her and I've been hiding really like avoiding her literally. And it's becoming more and more, I'm more and more aware of it, but uh, this renegotiating with her and with myself, how this is the process I'm in, but it's amazing to, to put it into words like this and, and see really clearly that this is what I'm doing. I need to renegotiate first with myself. Now I'm okay. If she's angry, I'm okay with that. I can also be angry and we can all be angry. I don't have to be afraid of her anger. Yeah, you can hand her one of these towels and say, you know, go ahead. You know, just yeah. go ahead. And, you know, probably make the agreement not to break too many dishes no yeah. knives, no throwing stuff, you know, spitting, no scratching. Uh -huh. Get as loud as you want. Yeah. You know, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt anybody else and go. Yeah. And just go, gosh, that was 44% big. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I can do 44% big too. And then you show her your 44% big. And I, now I'm going to show you 60% big. Uh -huh. You know, it could change the whole conversation around. Yeah. It's like... I was, I'm working on uh, books and stuff. And one of the things is having a conversation about the conversation creates a possibility of a new possibility. So that's what you would be doing. If you're negotiating with somebody who you've been tiptoeing around, you know, and being adaptive to, well, you can have a conversation about, because that's a conversation. I'm going to tiptoe around you. And the way we interact is that's your conversation. Now mm -hmm. have a conversation about the conversation and renegotiate the deal. You create new possibilities. Mm -hmm. It's fabulous. This is a very mm -hmm. powerful possibilitator tool. It's really amazing. Yeah, I love this because it really this really changes my life in the day to day. 
And I've been thinking practical ways how we can get to anger, like having a play fight or really creating spaces where we can go for it. But I love the, the, yeah, the, the changing the deal and, and not because we're in a pattern already. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else about this? The eggshell thing, the being manipulated. Letting yourself be manipulated is just as much of a shadow principle as if you were manipulating somebody else. And, and when, you're, when you are pretending like that, when you're being adaptive, you're not there. You're really not there. You're putting on this fake show, it's being adaptive. Anybody else have a story about that or something? Go ahead, Ingrid. I, I want to share um, a story which my mother did and I had always admiration for that. I, I have a, a brother two years younger than I, I am and he, he was quite often angry. And my mother arranged for him in the lower level a, a, a bunch of old cartons. And she sent him, when he was angry, he said, go downstairs and 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 do rage there. And then he came back really transformed. And I, and I thought it was so, so wise. When my mother had her 80th birthday three years ago, I did a speech and I mentioned that because it marked me. And she was touched by that. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Are you still in touch with your brother? Yes. Does he remember that also? Yes. Does he have a comment about it or a story about like what he thought happened to him by doing the rage work? I, I, I never uh, talked in this way with him, so I need to ask, but I know that he, uh, it marked him also because he did the same thing with his own children. Oh, wow. Yes. How did, how, how did that work for them? I think they are really great kids. <laughs> That's my answer. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Donnie, where are you? You must be in the Northern Hemisphere. You're using a fan. Where, where are you? It's so hot there. Yes, yes, it's really hot here. And uh, because I'm currently sharing my living room with my grandmother who's watching the news. So uh, I don't want to like, change the atmosphere too much i've just got my own personal little but where are you on. i'm in israel israel okay so yes. it's hot okay so hot <laughs> stinking hot yeah but, I, was uh, thinking, will... mm -hmm. I, I was thinking of israel today because i had some halva today so oh you was, did <laughs> that's nice it's helpful <laughs> that's, that's great <laughs> Um, that's nice. It's, uh, it's really interesting what you're saying and I'm, I'm really listening to, to everything and I'm, I haven't brought up my question yet because I think you're going to get to it later, which is um, dealing with like inner conflict and dealing with your own box and your own, because what I find is that I've, I've got these two voices or I mean, sometimes it's more, but it's often about one thing, like, yes, you should, let's say, eat this meal, even though you know it's unhealthy, you should eat this. And then my other box or something is saying, 
this is so unhealthy spend some time making something real for yourself you know and that's more I can feel that that's my adult and it's just you know how to really like get out of this box gremlin like how to make that change that you're talking about like you recognize it you're aware of it and then you just it's like it's like something just won't change and it's just exhausting. It's really like I'm smiling because I have this, I have this habit that I'm working on that I smile when I get very angry. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating to just take that extra step and really put my gremlin on a leash and expand my box, really. You're bringing up, it's not exactly what we're talking about, but it's the gremlin who defends the box. It's the gremlin who protects the, the dead mechanism. So the gremlin is the live part, protecting the dead mechanism of the box that has allowed you to survive or eat until now. So the box works. So changing the box in any way is very upsetting to the gremlin because you are threatening what already works because you have survived. But so, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Wait, it does work. It, it is, you could survive the rest of your life doing it exactly the same behavior as you have been doing. You could even keeping this voice argument back and forth in your mind, you could keep that going the rest of your life, just like your mom or all the people around, they're all doing that. But you are asking for something else. You are asking to live and not just survive. And the behavior of your box is dedicated to survival. So the way out of this is a, is a transformational, is to, is to <clears throat> develop your relationship with your gremlin, become more conscious of what's really going on and it's a, there's a, I was going to refer to Vera here. She, she and other people have, uh, have been doing this conversation for a year or so in small groups of people. It's called gremlin studies or gremlin work or something like that. Gremlin program and get to know your gremlin because the awareness of what's really going on is what will cause change not the argument in your head. Vera, can you say some stuff about that, the whole gremlin thing? Yeah, the gremlin training. It's, uh, yeah, it's exactly about getting a, an experiential distinction about, to, to, about what, is, what is your box? What is your box? What is your box committed to? And then what is your gremlin? What is your gremlin committed to? And starting to really notice the these i call them these aha moments where um for example you can be eating a meal and and actually you're it's not you who's eating your meal it's your gremlin and how would you notice because uh either you're not really present you're just hoovering like just eating like overstuffing yourself and not really tasting not being really in the experience of of eating and so and, and or or sending a text message to someone and then it has just those three, four, five extra words that just have a little twist. And okay, so I was sending this message and I let my gremlin say that part. That was my gremlin, that was my gremlin purpose in there. 
And, and so the, to, to notice that part in you and to map it, to basically map it so you can recognize it and not as a, it's a bad thing. Cause a lot of people's boxes have this thing that gremlin is bad. And so if yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. And so this, if this is part of the gremlin training to also uh, peel off this or to transform this meme that gremlin is bad, because if you have this gremlin is bad part, then basically most of your un unconscious efforts of your box are to uh, prevent gremlin activity to even occur. And this, so that goes even more invisible and, and comes out sideways. So it's, it's a training to, to really get to know your gremlin to make and to, to so that you can take ownership of your gremlin. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Go ahead, Clinton. Go ahead. Well, it's, no, an no, go ahead. it's an experiment for Danny. It's a very small experiment, but about your example, it's this thing about the the bad food, quite unquote, like fast food and healthy food. <clears throat> and actually both of those are, you know, the, your gremlin wants the fast food. And I don't know if it's really your adult who wants the healthy food. I think there's a concept like a voice saying, no, you should eat healthy. So it's not adult, actually, it's the parent voice. And so like you say, it's actually more than two voices. There's the gremlin and then the parent and then the child. I want to do what I want. You know, don't tell me what to do. And that would be the child. And so a very simple experiment that I do is I choose one. And then, and then that's the boundary. I choose one as an experiment. And it's not because this voice is more convincing than the other one or whatever. I just choose one and I say, I'm doing the experiment. I am choosing to eat this right now and that's it and and to and as a boundary to all all the voices then you get back your authority of you choose so that could be an experiment in terms of the food yeah i can definitely try to do that it's it's like it's exactly that voice of wait i'm choosing that like already my box is freaking out like i'm just like that bringing bringing forward that voice is such a scary concept to me because even when I manage to do it it's never really sticks and it's never really stuck in my whole life and it's very possible that it is my parent and I have I, I do feel that it's my parent more and I even trace it back through um, you know through my childhood of like my parents telling me not to eat something that wasn't right or whatever and you know my child kind of um, fighting back on that but I'll definitely try it I'm gonna definitely do that experiment and I'll cool. yeah go ahead and I just want to say the experience I mean the, it's not about the food the point is to not make it about the food it's about making it about your decision and that's the experiment and yeah you know so the what we've been finding out is that until you actually change your relationship to your gremlin, you cannot do the real work. And the real work is decontaminating, decontaminating your adult ego state. Because as a survival strategy, we, many people far more than we ever re realized before bring into their adult ego state, the gremlin ego state or the child ego state or even the parent ego state and so when we try to be centered and present and we interact with the world, what's interacting with the world 
is the parent or the, the child or the, you know, these things are really interacting in the world. We cannot interact with the world as an adult and, until it's cleaned out, until we decontaminate and they're not wrong or bad or stupid, we just put them back where they belong. So the gremlin behaviors belong in the gremlin ego state, the child behaviors belong in the child ego state and the parent behaviors belong in the parent ego state. And then you have a decontaminated adult ego state, which is a completely different experience. It is not this battleground. So this is a year or more of work with a team. You cannot do this work alone because gremlin is inside of you and it's too sly. And the, and the thing that's doing the work is the thing that's contaminated, you know? So it's not going to, it's not, it doesn't work. You need teamwork. And that's why we really encourage people to get in the first, the gremlin training, the gremlin work, you know, do the steps in the gremlin work. And then you have the clarity. You've cleaned out enough. You changed your relationship with your gremlin that then you can go and decontaminate your gremlin. It is good work. It is good, solid work. It can be done. It's clear and simple, and it takes time and effort. It's measurable, and your team really can help. So I would encourage Is you there to- a team that I can join that's like not too advanced, maybe, or I would, I would be coming in in the beginning that I could join, maybe? I mean, my, my idea is to ask in the study group and to have a free cell as a, you know, if you want to just start and and to kind of build that awareness i mean you can talk to devin talk to devin about doing gremlin work in a three cell because he had that experience and it really has changed his life devin gleason in the he's in the study group group yeah cool yes <laughs> and he's also leading the, the training that has just started so he's, he's he probably has some hints for you yeah. okay great thank you so much Yeah, we just they're really encourage everybody to do that work. And it's it's kind of just beginning. I mean, we're looking at each other and going, possibility management is just beginning because we did not know this before. <clears throat> so here we are, start over. Start over with gremlin work and decontamination work, and then all the other stuff. Then you get free energy and free attention to do the other stuff. And that's very helpful. I'd like to read the last three distinctions in this section about box mechanics. First one is the clarity that your box is mechanical and unconscious is exactly the same clarity that a mature driver has about his car. Somebody driving their car, they have the same kind of relationship. The driver does not expect that his car will automatically take him wherever he wants to go and then stop at red lights along the way. No policeman would accept the excuse, well, officer, the car decided not to stop. Okay, that's what we're talking about. You know, when you go, oh yeah, my box, you know, my gremlin, whatever. It doesn't work like that. It's just like a car. 
well, officer, the car decided not to stop, so it's not my fault. Clinton, can I say something? You know, I just yeah. want to. I mean, it seems like there's been a a, a take, really, a takeover by some gremlins of the gremlin distinction of saying, "Oh, my gremlin di did that, so therefore I didn't." And and really, the power of the gremlin distinction is is what Danny, you were talking about, or it's about who is thinking right now, who is talking right now, who is moving me right now, who is having this conversation right now, so that I have choice. And it's it is and it is not the, like the purpose of the distinction is not to say, oh, my box is annoying, I'm sorry, or my box plays victim, I can't do anything about it, or my gremlin. My gremlin said that, and, and even my gremlin said that I'm sorry is a way of avoiding the responsibility and the pain of having let your gremlin like destroy or separate or, or kill intimacy. And so I, I know a lot of you are like holding space for emotional healing processes or holding space for like Joanna, the Rage Club or, and to when when you notice people starting using the distinction of boxes and gremlin as a way to avoid responsibility to just catch it and say no you said that you did it you let your gremlin take over so what are you going to do about it you know something like that thank you yeah thank you I mean, because the driver which is you knows that his car, which is his box in Bremen, is not sentient, okay? The car is not sentient, is not conscious, and that the car's mechanical operations follow physical laws determined by the car's design. The driver is not a victim of his car's insentience. The, the driver gets behind the wheel and drives the car where he wants to go. You can relate to boxes like an intelligent driver relates to cars. There's this great website called Reactivity, reactivity.mystrikingly.com. And it, it has this clear description of, of these the mechanics of this box stuff. Because there's these buttons, these hooks, these triggers, these traumas, these imbalances and these voices that are all operating. We've just been talking about this stuff. Button hooks, triggers, traumas, imbalances, voices. And, and these things, if you don't know those distinctions, it's like, you know, handbrake, foot brake, steering wheel, accelerator, rear view mirror. You don't have those distinctions. You can't drive your car. So in the same way, you cannot drive your box unless you know, ah, oh, yeah, this is a trigger. Okay, yeah, somebody's trying to hook me. <clears throat> okay, uh, this is just a button on my box. Ah, you know, if you don't know those things, you're you are you're a marionette, you're a puppet, you're a zombie. You know, you're completely sleeping and walking through the world as a as a as a victim of all this stuff, internal and external. So, you know, this is what school could be about. So we start over 
and and but the information is out there. You can you can learn to about your box mechanics. That's what we've been doing here. I have two more distinctions about box mechanics. If you relate to someone as if you know who they are, you are wrong. <laughs> this is your third experiment. Go to the people who you think you know who they are and erase the thought. Stand there in awe, in confusion, in amazement. Like stand there completely without this thing that you, your assumptions, without your assumptions, without your conclusions, without your story, without your expectations, without this stuff, you stand there. You go, if you relate to someone as if you know who they are, you are wrong. If someone else relates to you like they know who you are, they are wrong too. And if you relate to yourself, like you know who you are, you are still wrong. This is a fabulous way to get out of bed into a world that you don't know about. And it brings freshness and it brings reality in. Because knowing is a booby prize. Knowing is like, it's like looking at nostalgic memories. It's you don't get to play, you don't get to participate in reality if you're um, hiding out in your knowing. So all that you can know about another person is their box. So you can, you can see their box, you can predict the box, you can do that. Who they truly are is mystery. And that mystery is unknowable. So even people, like there's this, I heard a quote from a Zen master. <clears throat> and he, he said, I woke up this morning next to my this woman that I've been married to for 20 years, and I didn't know who she is. I did not know who she is. And the other Zen guys, they all went, now, now you know where this comes from. It's a Zen thing. <laughs> Nobody ever told us. But you know, it's silent. This is, so it's Zen. That used to be Zen. Anyway, he had to work twenty years to be able to wake up in the morning next to this woman and not know who she was. It is worth doing that because then you wake up next to a mystery. What a great thing! Okay, the last distinction in this box: relationship to a box is boring because it's predictable and knowable. So the box is predictable and knowable. Relationship to unknowable mystery is forever exciting. I don't know if you could tolerate being forever excited. Can you tolerate that? I mean, maybe you like boring. Some people like boring. People watch reruns, you know, they've seen the thing already two or three times and they watch it again, they start singing along or saying the words or going, you know, following, some people like that, but relationship to unknowable mystery is forever exciting in each moment of your relationship. You choose 
to whom you are relating, something known or something unknown. You get to choose that. One of them is true. <laughs> Any comments about this stuff or sharing? I was just reading this next line in the book. It says, outside the box, it says, if you don't have the creative freedom from the mechanisms of your box, if you don't have that, then you suffer huge consequences of passively, me mechanically choosing without recognizing your responsibility for having made a choice. I mean, like right now, anybody here could do anything. So everybody do, do a thing right now that you didn't predict that you never did before. Okay, just go ahead. <laughs> I probably apologize. I don't know if I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. Was that, how are you, how do you feel about that? How was that for you? Made me feel silly. Where, where did this silly opinion come from, really? Where did it come from? Um, the source of it. I don't know, just not knowing, just not knowing what I was going to do, I guess. You were probably so occupied with not knowing what you were going to do that you did not even notice all the things the other people did. No, I didn't notice much. Oh, you missed out. There was amazing stuff. Really, people did amazing stuff right then. <laughs> what, what else? I, I feel I feel more alive because I, I don't know I, I stepped out of the of the plot like of the linear plot I, so suddenly I'm like open to new possibilities and something unexpected can happen how many times do you do that in a day not enough how many is that <laughs> <laughs> Two. Okay. I, yeah. I think so. So this is this is an option that we have to choose from ongoingly. Is not doing the thing the way he did it before. You know. So Joseph took off his glasses like that before and rubbed his eyes like that before, but he did not do it. He did not try to figure out a different way to do it. But you could. It would not take much to shift. Your starting point, the middle point, the end point, the, the purpose, the attitude, the style, 
the, the vocabulary, the tone of voice, it would not take much to do things ways that you never did before that are not in the track. You know, the box has a track, the grumman has a track and all of a sudden you do something over here, you get more life happening, more aliveness happening. And it could take a while. See, it only took about 10 seconds for everybody to go back on the normal track. Did you see that? After we did this, you all did something amazing and it took about 10 seconds and you're all back on this track. Could you feel it? Does anybody feel that? Yeah. So this is an experiment is to how long can you stay off that track? How long can you stay in unpredicted behavior, in unknown territory? How long can you do that? Three seconds, 15 seconds, a whole minute? Can you do it for a whole minute? And then practice that several times a day. And people, you know, if you're doing something that people never saw you do before, you know, Joseph, I never saw him do this before, but sta you know, be standing up behind the chair, I don't have a problem with it. But sometimes there will be people you'll, who you'll do something that they never saw you do before and they'll go, What's get what's gotten into you? What has gotten into you? It's a phrase in English. Like what what's going on with you? You know, what is and and you don't have to you don't that doesn't mean you have to conform back to the track. You can just say, I'm doing an experiment. This is a great thing about being an experimenter as an identity. You can you can you can just say, I am doing an experiment. Okay, this will explain a lot. Um, this is uh, the doc, doc in the, the Back to the Future number three. He steals a train and he steals it from the, from the train engineer. He goes up and he steals the whole train. And the, and the train guy, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He goes, is this a, is this a, is this a bank robbery? Is this a train robbery? You know, you're trying to take my money. And, this, and doc goes, no, 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 this is a science experiment, you know, because, because he, he's an experimenter. He can experiment and that will, that will give you permission to do just about anything, even to yourself. Go ahead, Johanna. Yes, I have a question about, um, because it's going, it's about going nonlinear, um, this, this kind of experiment. See, you're doing it right now. You're trying to put this into the nonlinear category. Okay. So you can understand it. Can you feel yourself doing it? <clears throat> yes. Is kind of my way to try to integrate it or? or yes. Are you willing to let it be not integrated? <clears throat> yes. You get that? Because that's the whole thing. We're trying to integrate ourselves, you know, to get back on track, to be integrated. It is, and we think of it as a, a positive thing well it could be it could be like a blender you know you put everything in the blender and go you know and then it's all integrated what do you have slime yeah, some kind of slime so so see if you can let it be unique see if you can let it be not integrated see if you can explore it like new territory because it it, it is new to, as soon as you categorize it, ah, it's just being nonlinear. You think you understand what we're talking about. 
you think you did it once, so you already, you know, you read the website or something. So that's not that's not the point. The point is like this vast field of consciousness that we are can be in if we're not in a solid state. That thing is so rich in possibilities that it's it's you cannot integrate it. You'll never be, there's nothing that it's everything. So how can you integrate it into anything? So it's you can you can have access to that resource of this unintegrated everythingness and still make it practical in everyday life. As you're as you're talking to people, as you're walking down the road or going to a shop and buy carrots, you can, I mean, there's a there's a an, an additional little exercise you can practice, which is when you're going to say a word, don't say it. When you're looking for a word, don't say that word. And then the next word will come and you don't say that word either. And then when the third word comes, you can say that. And so it does not take too long to wait for the third word to come by and sometimes a fourth one. And while you're, so you just don't speak quite so fast, there's time enough for the next word to come along. And then you get access to many more doorways than by if you package what you're going to say into a, a string, like a path, like a linear thing. You, from start to finish, you, you already have the entire communication. Instead, keep in contact with the people you're talking to and let different words come through so that it's more perfectly matched onto what they need to hear so they can understand, for example. And that will help also. So in terms of being in relationship with the mystery, it, it's helpful if you, you yourself are mysterious, if you yourself are not so knowable. I mean, there's a guy named Carlos Castaneda who spent his whole life trying to stay mysterious. And there, there was a lesson. It's a lesson to people to consider that idea because you know we, we're trying to be vulnerable or we're trying to connect or we're trying to be open. And all these things are revolutionary in themselves, but at the same time, uh, we're trying to make ourselves knowable or known. <clears throat> and, and then we take that on as an ideal. And in order to do that, you have to cut yourself up from the mystery. And so what I'm suggesting or proposing is that you go ahead and let yourself be mysterious, even to yourself. And do that experiment as you're going through the day let something mysterious occur for you in you, not just out there or with other people, but actually within yourself and, and roll with it. Like, and don't, don't put it back on track and bring it back to normal three seconds later, go off with it, take it to lunch, you know, go for a ride with it and, and let it spin, let it spin out, let it take you to the next place. You know, if you don't do that, it's more difficult for the Earth Coincidence Control Office to work with you, to make offers for you, to make amazing offers for your destiny. You know, if you're if you're locked down into 
this this path that's knowable. These the the gifts that are coming in sideways can't you don't you don't you know, even open the door. It's like Santa Claus brings all these packages and and you just let them stay outside and next day the garbage man comes and takes them away. So and you don't open the packages. So there's all these packages coming and it doesn't take so much to just open them up when they occur. So then uh, <laughs> I'm hoping you can uh, try these experiments during the week and see what happens. And Chloe, what about now? Yes, my consideration was about how to be in the unknown and I know it's not about what you were talking about, but and be non-reactive. And so it's to stay in the unknown and be be okay in this mystery of life of people coming in and out of my life and the offers coming in and out and still making decisions that that about what I want and not reflexive and not reactive. And I think it was relating to what you were saying about the flying, like the flying school and changing, or you're not talking about the flying school, but you were actually, uh, the flying state and learning how to fly and changing while flying and still that being not reactive. And in some ways, I mean, if I look at the bird, pretty much they're reactive to the wind patterns. Like they have to be reactive. And I think as um, human, it's like, okay, how to be with the wind pattern and still not be reactive and, and being, being active, I guess. And I, in my own experimentation, I mean, that, we come back around to, that has a lot to do with my gremlin decontamination and about worrying and about if I let, if I, I keep putting the worrying in into my gremlin ego state and out of my adult ego state, then this whole fear-based reaction doesn't have to grip me or, or overwhelm me or over. And, and then it's like, for, it's really this experience of everything's okay. I mean, people say that in movies, you know, it's okay, everything's okay. And really when they say it, or I don't know, maybe my parents said that to me, it's a lie because it's a rescuing lie. It's a, it's a fantasy world lie. But I, but I think there's really this place where, God, everything's really okay. And, and then to move from there. And so that's what I would have as an experiment in terms of being, being active and non-reactive is to, to move from everything's okay. Okay. What, if everything's okay, what do I want? What am I going to do if everything's okay? And it could be, I mean, the experiment could be a complete assumption and your box is over there freaking out being, what about this and these people and my money and my job and, but when I, I don't know anybody, like, I don't know what, and then, and then say, okay, even considering all that, everything's okay. And then, and then what do I do? So something like that. Could you 
add in a free attention thing? Yeah, okay, I was wondering about what the freedom of movement was. Mm. It's this, I was writing about listening this morning and, and I also talked about it in the Rage Club spaceholder training as a spaceholder is in a way that there's so much speaking, there's so much magic available, something like that. There's so much magical available and what is stopping us from having access to it? What is that block to that, to that, like what you were saying, Clinton, like being amazed, being amazed by the mystery of another person, being amazed by being my own mystery. And that's, and what I come to is our attention is totally contaminated by information and the news and advertisements and television and our own emotional reactivity and our, emo like really our emotion. I mean, I just want to say this story that yesterday I had an emotion like 20 minutes and I, and I knew I was in emotion and I was like, I can't do anything about this. It was so scary. I was like, I need to wait 20 minutes before this thing gets out of my body. And I, I seriously can't re really remember the last time I was there sitting in my emotion and not being able to do anything about it and be, I'm going to go for a walk. And, and, and I can tell you 15 minutes on the clock, the chemical were out of my body and I could, finally be whatever myself again and and it was and I and I thought okay in that in that state I have no access to magic like I'm it's like almost physically impossible to have access to magic and and I think most people on the planet live in that constant state of emotional reactivity having no access to something else and I thought how exhausting that must be like how like depressing like how like what is the point of living if really that's the the ongoing state so in, so really this emotional reaction I, I got it like took my attention away except that I could split a little bit my attention to be like okay I'm in an emotion that's how much I could split my attention but and so anyway so our attention is completely eaten up by this kind of meaningless chatter of, of all this stuff. And then there is no free, nothing is happening attention to, for me, it's like I see it as kind of this free floating attention, kind of like baskets waiting for something to land in like kind of slowly and gently land in and say, oh, did you know about, like, what about this? It's not really about knowing, but what about this? Or what about this? Or, or, and it can be stuff like, like this morning, Clinton was sitting there and then there's this bird that comes in, takes a drink in our pool, barfs seeds in our pool, and then flies off. And Clinton, I had my back to it, but Clinton saw it. And it was like, okay, well, Clinton had enough free attention, even from working and writing to 
notice that and appreciate it. And, and in a way it's like, so what? Like, in, you know, it didn't change the bird's life that Clinton noticed it. It didn't change Clinton's life or to some degree or, and, but there's this book from Robert Wolf come, uh, called The uh, Original Wisdom. And, I, and it's, a, it's an amazing book in terms of this, this noticing and this free attention and having access to magic. And he was, he, he goes into indigenous tribes in, in Indonesia. So not the Indonesian, the actual indigenous tribe of, yeah, that's it, original wisdom of Indonesia. And he's welcome there. And then really kind of magically by a village and he lives there. And one day they all just go on a walk. And so he goes on the walk with them and he walks in these kids and adults and stuff. And then they see this flower. And I think it's like one diameter big flower, like something pretty amazing. And everybody looks at it. And then they, they go back to the village and, and that was it. Like it wasn't food, it wasn't medicine, it wasn't. And Robert Wolf is like, is that their life? Like what, why did they check out this flower? And then when he went back to quote unquote, like his home of civilization, he checked out the flower and it seemed like that only less than a hundred people in the entire earth had seen this flower. And, and that was it. It was like Gaia wanting to be seen. Like something like that. And it's like, okay, well, why not make life, our life about that? Or having a part of our free attention available for Gaia wanting to be seen. And yes, it won't bring you money or it won't bring you knowledge and it won't bring you success or anything. But I, wh yeah, what about that? Kind of having access to that level of magic and amazement and mysteries. Thank you. I mean, I think the this thing about then it's about how to get back your attention, and and there's a website, there's a couple website called Your Attention and Split Your Attention. I think there's more on Split Your Attention than Your Attention. But I think if there's if there's anything that are really worth experimenting with is how to get back your attention. And there's all these dimension about gremlin decontamination and and emotional healing processes and getting back your anger and getting back your authority. But in a way, I think it's about getting back our attention so we can move and direct our attention or have free floating attention for whatever, for the echo, for the universe, for Gaia to move us, to move us. And that's the thing, like Danny, this thing about, you know, your, your example with the food is a great, it's like, you know, this part of you that's like, I want to eat fast food. And then your attention is grabbed by that. And there's, and then there's, you should eat Elfie. And then your attention is grabbed by that. And this thing of, you know, I decide is having this meta attention, like this attention about, 
God, I really have a part that tells me to eat fast food. And I really have a part that tells me to eat healthy food. God, this is really interesting. And, and, and then, and having this kind of um, gap, having this gap, yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Marcus, how about your, your world? How are things going? Yeah, I was um, sitting on a story that I wanted to share about the yeah, being in the not knowing or acting in there. And it was a door that opened up a while ago with a friend when she was once saying something. And it really was, I could feel that it was spoken from a deep truth. And I asked something about it, what she was saying, and she was not saying it. Like she want, didn't want to repeat it. And, and it really opened up this door of also let the mystery come into the words and to not then afterwards um, remember them and redo them or, yeah, to, to allow also that, the mystery in the speaking. And, yeah, my box was freaking out on, on like not really being able to take apart what she said, but it still landed. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. And the other thing I'm noticing right now is this. Um, yeah, how much the the game world I'm in, also. I would say how much I relate to the game world I'm in, and just hopping into this call again from I came from work today is already a game world shift and I perceive myself completely different and that's making me sad and also happy can you talk about the difference the two the two differences Marcus yeah um so when I'm in the in the working game world, there's so much that does seem impossible. Like I'd say even most of life feels or seems impossible to me about healing and about communication, about how we spend our time, how the people and me spend the time. And entering this call right now, again, like lifts, lifts all these barriers, I'd say. And it's, and suddenly I notice, yeah, well, I, I don't have to question all my impulses. Yeah, I can be, I can actually just um, receive them, and then let let them move me. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. One of the keys for creating is to keep both of those impulses in you at the same time, rather than being 100% sucked into the work space and then notice, you know, you come out and you're in a conversation space like this and but if you, if you can hold both of those in you at the same time, it creates this 
tension. And it's a, if you prefer one of those more than the other, then the tension is directed. It's called directed tension. I got this from a book by Robert Fritz called Creating. And it's, it's just a really powerful force to hold it in you that it starts moving that directed tension where this is how it is, but this is how I want it, or I like this, and I, and I, and yet, and you hold this both inside of you, moves you into this direction that it contributes to something like Donnie was talking about: is what do I eat? Well, I eat according to the direct intention, or what do I? Who do I call? What do I? What do I write? Who do I speak to? What What do I do next? What do I cross off my list and just forget about? Like all, it's you can have this direct attention, and over time, it will you will pave a new path towards what you want. You will create what you want. And a lot of people, what we will do, we will avoid the pain of having both of these things in us at the same time. So when we have what we want, we go, ah, oh, this is wonderful and great, and then we forget about it. When we go into the thing that we don't want, we go, ah, I don't like whatever, blah, this is how I have to survive here. But we don't really hold both of them in us at the same time to create this energy. But it's not so painful. It's a kind of it's a created, it's a creative energy. And if you do it for a little while, a few weeks, it'll, it'll, it'll stay in you and you will just start navigating through the, the world according to these little nano steps that take you towards what you want. You know, and you'll create next culture, you'll create love, you'll create connection, you'll create adventure, you'll create discovery, you'll create creating happening, you'll create things. So that's an experiment is to see if you can hold both of those things in you, even though it's that comfortable at first, you become this transformer, you become this engine, this kind of, it's driven by this thing and it, and it's like a gyroscope, you know, it kind of, it doesn't forget where you want to go. So even though you're facing all different places, the, the gyroscope keeps in the same direction, stays there. And it will always have this force, this third force that will inform you, even unconsciously, it will inform you towards that thing. And Chloe was telling a story recently about wanting something and then it just shows up and then she wanted something else and then it just shows up over time and you've probably all had that experience of like you actually want something and then it shows up and Chloe do you remember what what you were talking about yeah I mean it, it was related to the story in in the movie of Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman that I re recommend you to watch where he says he, he prayed to the Virgin Mary for a bike and then next day he got a bike and then when he started his career, he, he said, I will make $10 million. And, and three years or four years later, he had $10 million. On the day his father died, he put the check of 10 million in his dad's pocket in the coffin. So the point was not to get the 10 million, but, um, but it's to get what you want. And anyway, I had, I had similar experiences when I was a child that I would, I would, I would, I would pray actually also and I would and stuff would appear and now I'm doing it more without without God and in, in, in between.
as we are designed without an intermediary. Yeah. Ingrid? I don't know if that what I want to say is exactly an example for what you say, but um, I'm married in 36 years to a man who thinks the work I'm doing is a sect, is dangerous, should be announced to the police that I do something which is uh, not wrong, something like that. And he thought I'm sick, psycho psychologically sick. And uh, a long time ago, I already committed to stay in that relationship and, and to feel the pain between what I hear, what I receive, and my longing to stay with what I want to create. And, and I, I feel that really as a directional force. And I, remember I, I work with Vera and I remember it was really a very important point for me when I saw that Vera committed to this too, that I can combine. And now I'm doing the work. My husband says almost the same thing, but he tolerates it. it, it, it he, his, his box is still saying words like that. Just after my rage club, he said again, you are playing the psychologist. You, you are not allowed to do that or something like that. And, uh, and it's sometimes very, it's painful, yes. But it's not painful as uh, gremlin th stuff is. It's an, another sort of pain. And at the same time, to, I accept this tension and I feel the aliveness to embrace this. So it seems to my box or to, to a part of me, so contradictory things. And because it feels alive, I can feel joy nevertheless, even if sometimes I'm sad or angry or whatever, I can feel that this, yes. I embrace the tension of my life, simply. I embrace it. I have no power if my husband one day will leave or not. That's okay. And I don't know if I, maybe one day I decide differently, but moment for moment I decide like that and, and it feels strong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid.
Thank you. Always going to be Ingrid was to ask you what you are. You asking me what I am? Yes. <clears throat> Yesterday I did with Leslie the spark number 182. And we did that list. What, the, uh, what is it? I don't it, remember all the numbers. It, it, was, it was the list to, uh, to, to describe the skills I have. And I said things we, I'm able to feel joy in every situation, or I am, uh, I can connect, uh, I can stay with somebody when he's angry at me and, and can stay with somebody with an open heart when he's angry at, uh, at me. And then we needed to choose eight from those lists things and then to make um, a sort of profession. What is my profession? Exactly. And that, yes. And, and what, what uh, uh, Leslie, uh, we, we did it, uh, we, we expanded the experiment and uh, but because when we read it, Leslie and I, she did it for me, for my list and I did it for her list. And then we said also our own thing. And Leslie gave me the, 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 the name Heart swimmer because I can swim in eleven uh, Celsius degree water. Heart swimmer, and I gave myself the name passionate, passionate love sprinkleress. So that's my answer to your question. So my, my proposal is the next time your husband or somebody makes a comment about your about about you you can say how does it how do you like having dinner with a a, a passionated love sprinkler yes yes i do that <laughs> because then you you occupy space as this thing it doesn't have to disappear or even fight against it you know it's two different universes and you just say How's that like for you having having dinner with a, a mage love sorcerer sprinkler and whatever whatever and just stand in it you know and, in, and like I think we'll hear from you next week. Thank you everybody for coming and being here and going on this journey today. <clears throat> Have a great week. See you guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Stay Thank cool you. in Israel. Bye. And in Egypt. <laughs> okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.